step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, June 29th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We'll talk about the Stanley Cup Finals between Montreal and Tampa Bay. Take a look at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. That's this week's PGA Tour event up in Detroit, Michigan. Then we'll take a quick look at NASCAR, where we have a new track, at least for some of the drivers here this week. We'll talk more about that to finish out the show. Make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. You can use it as a bet tracker. It's an odd screen, a stats database, a lot of helpful handicapping resources at your fingertips with that ATS app, which works for Android as well as iOS devices. So you can get that in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. means you can read my MLB article, which is posted every day over at ATS.io. We did change the format for that. Now doing a landing page with links to the games that I like for the day. So we're not reading 4,000, 5,000 word write-ups on the MLB card. Just looking at the individual picks and previews for the things that I like on that day's card. So we definitely streamlined that quite a bit. But lots of other good content over at the website as well. With WNBA, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs. Got a golf preview up for you. NASCAR preview is just about done. So that'll be going up here this afternoon. We cover UFC on Fight Weeks. Don't have a UFC event this week, but a big pay-per-view next week. We'll cover that over at the website. So lots of things for you to check out over there at ATS.io. With that, we bring on today's guest, and that is Mr. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam, rolling along. uh, Toasty hot out here. Lots of sports and football's coming. Yeah, it's it's not toasty here. It's very sauna-like here. Uh, very hot, very humid. And, you know, I was actually looking at that and a couple of my MLB plays for today kind of predicated on just how hot it is in this part of the country, in the Great Lakes region, then also over on the East Coast where summer is is very much here, my friend. Oh, amen to that, buddy. I mean, we, we've been hitting the 115, 116 mark uh, way too early. So what do you I mean, what do you do? Do you golf at like five a.m.? Is that the only way you can do it? Oh, we golf Saturday, and you know, we knew it was going to be hot. We got up about eight fifty, and basically, shade is your friend. You're, you're fine if you, if you can. You know, every shot you park in park in the shade, run out, hit your shot, and get back. It's not too hideous. The last three four holes got your attention. You know, by one in the afternoon, it's up to about one oh six, one oh seven. Uh, I don't care what you try to do. It, it's hot, but it's not unbearable. To me, it's it's an odd thing. You know, 109 is like the magic number for me. 104, 105, 106, it's hot, you know, whatever, it's hot. 109 is like, okay, that whatever you're doing isn't fun. 109 seems to be the magic number for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it's it's all about the humidity that makes it so difficult. I'm a low 70s kind of guy by trade. I know that that probably feels cold to you, 
being out there in Vegas, but give me upper 60s, low 70s. I want to wear shorts, but if I have to wear long sleeves or a hoodie, I'm okay with it. So that's kind of my wheelhouse. And, you know, we don't get much of that around here because it just goes from winter to summer and then from summer to winter. So I got my annual golf tournaments coming up here in the not uh, too distant future where I head back east. Missed it last year for the first time in 33 years. Looking forward to it. But it's crazy. I'll go back to this. You know, it's it's up in um, only in New York, and I come out of here. It's one hundred and four, hundred five, and forget the dry heat nonsense. You know, hot's hot, but I get back there, and anything in the high eighties with humidity, I am literally just like a sponge. I'm just you know, I'm just oozing all over the place. The humid humidity is the killer. That's and very rarely do we get the humidity here. That's when it really gets rugged. Yeah, for sure. And uh, speaking of golfing, 29 of the 31 NHL teams doing that right now. The two yeah. that are not, Good the Montreal Canadiens, thank you, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Game one last night, Tampa Bay wins 5-1. And, you know, as I was watching that game, Brian, I'm just sitting there thinking, I don't know how long this series actually goes. I mean, Tampa Bay just outclassed Montreal last night. They've outclassed a lot of their opponents for the most part. And last night, you know, not only am I thinking that, I'm thinking it's going to be a quick series, but I'm also thinking, damn, Barry Trotz is as good as we say he is for taking that team to seven games. Buddy, the thing I would say to you, before the Golden Knights series, I said Vegas in five. And I was like, boy, am I being disrespectful to Montreal? And then it came, we know what happened, and it came to this, and I said Tampa Bay in five, and I'm thinking the same thing. Am I being disrespectful to Montreal? And full march to them, everything they've accomplished. But the fact of the matter, what I can't get away from is Vegas beat themselves. And Montreal did what they did, but Vegas was so foolish and never adjusted. And you watch the game last night. The lone goal Montreal scored is what Vegas did for six games. Sergeyev was careless. He didn't get the puck deep, turned it over at the blue line coming in. Bam, Montreal came the other way, scored the only goal they got. The rest of the series with the Vegas series, Vegas won all the draws. They scored goals off faceoffs. Caulfield had four goals for Montreal in the series. Vegas forwards collectively had four goals in the series. Vegas power play never scored in the series, and Vegas power play had been a disaster all year long. And you're sitting there, so now I'm on the way into this thing, I'm like, well, wait a minute. You're not shutting Kucherov down the way Stone got shut down. And on top of it, points as dangerous as Kucherov is. They had more guys that are lethal. And that power play was going to be a factor. And Montreal was undisciplined against Vegas because Vegas couldn't take advantage of it on the power play. Tampa Bay will. The other thing, the Vegas-Montreal series was the least physical semifinal series in the history of the sport. And Tampa Bay, we've talked about them all along, big, mean, fast, nasty, borderline dirty at times. They are going to hammer Montreal. Montreal had no idea what they were walking into. I think game one is just a microcosm of what you're going to see. I stick with five that they win it on home ice. Four is absolutely in play. And I'm not knocking Montreal. Tampa Bay is just on a mission. They showed from day one they wanted to win it again. Last year they won it in a bubble. Now they'll have a party. They're actually fans at the games in Tampa Bay. Again, it is not a knock on Montreal. It's just their face-offs are awful. Tampa Bay ate them alive on face-offs. 
scored some goals, two goals off faceoffs last night, five on five, more physical, power play really effective where Vegas's wasn't. Montreal simply is walking up against a buzzsaw right now, and it's not a disservice to them. I had everybody pretty much trying to make a case. Well, Montreal, you know, look what they've done and blah, blah, blah. And everybody wanted to keep swinging with these guys. And I give them full marks, but I think it was more, I swear to you, Vegas could not see it after after game two. We're screaming and yelling on the radio here. Dump the puck in. What are you doing? You keep doing the same thing where Vegas was so stubborn. Come in, make a pass at the blue line, and turn it over instead of get it deep. And then and the model is get ahead of Montreal. If you get ahead of Montreal, then the ice opens up. Tampa Bay got ahead, had one miscue. It ended up in their net. That's how opportunistic Montreal is. Stylistically, Tampa Bay will make any adjustment that's required. They are deeper, bigger, faster, stronger. I'm sorry, uh, Canadians fans relish in what they've done to this point, but this is a walkover. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't make for great radio, to say the least here, because I, I'm in The series price is you. seven bucks. Yeah, and, and that may even be cheap. And I know there were some very smart people out there, some hockey opinions that I respect, who thought the series price was way too cheap before game one. And... You know, seeing how game one played out certainly seems like they've been validated. You know, last night I was and Adam, the, Adam uh, Vegas was minus 475. Yeah. And Tampa's minus 260. Well, we said the Vegas number was ridiculously inflated, but this team is, you know, think, think the other thing. Montreal beats a, fl- a good but flawed Toronto team. All right. And then they sweep. Winnipeg. Winnipeg without Shifley. And then Vegas gift wraps the series for him. Tampa Bay beat a really good Florida team, a Carolina team I thought was capable of winning the Stanley Cup. You look at what, and the, what they had to do to get here. And then they beat Trots and the Islanders. I mean, you know, the path here was way harder for Tampa Bay. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I was texting with a buddy last night. He coaches a junior team up in Campbell River, British Columbia. And, you know, we were talking about Tampa Bay. We were talking about just how impressive they are. I mean, all four lines are dangerous. They got the defensemen involved quite a bit last night. That gives them another layer of not only offense, but also puck possession, attack zone time, all of that. And he just straight up says to me, he goes, Adam, I try to make my team play this style of hockey. I want them to be detail-oriented. I want them to have, you know, that – that relentless forecheck with the third man high that's always looking for opportunities. And last night, even, you know, Tampa Bay was even collapsing that third man and letting that weak side defenseman kind of hang around in the slot, look for any loose pucks that came out there, stuff like that. And as I'm watching this game, the only thing I keep thinking to myself is they are not the least bit afraid of Montreal's offense. Not at all whatsoever. They will sell out to hold the zone. They're not worried about guys getting back if there's an odd man rush because Montreal just doesn't have the speed to do it. Tampa Bay looked like a team playing with utmost confidence last night. And I don't know why anything would change the rest of the way in this series. I I don't think anything will change the rest of the way in this series. And we've seen seen a price adjustment to game two where Tampa Bay is a little bit higher of a favorite up about 10 to 15 cents at most places, but I, like you said, I, I mean, look, maybe it's a gentleman's sweep. Maybe they give Montreal one at home so they can win it at home, something like that. But 
And I, I don't see any reason I would bet against Tampa Bay in any one of these games in this series. From a betting perspective, I will say, and believe me, I had two horrific beats in soccer this week. I mean, France, good. I'm so glad they're out because what they cost me this week in the soccer, I, I had some cool stuff hooked into that. Thankfully, the hockey is still hockey. I played Tampa on the puck line in game one and played the over in game one. You know I do that. I do it all the time. Teams get to know each other, and then then the series tightens up. So game one kind of went true to form, at least how I thought it would. But I'll just go back from a betting perspective to say how good Tampa is, that I believe in the Islanders and thought the Islanders had every opportunity to win that series. And in game six, when they're home, I know Stevie Slapshot, a bunch of guys are talking, I'm going to swim with the plus price. I'm taking the Islanders. I said, well, I believe in the Islanders. But you know what? Here's what you're dealing with. I said, I think the safer play, not as big a plus price, but nonetheless a plus price was play under five because it's correlated. If the Islanders were going to beat Tampa Bay, it was going to be an under game. But the problem was, and it happened in game seven. So in game six, it worked, and it worked also in game seven said that if the Islanders are in the game and have a chance to win, it's correlated that it's low scoring. The problem is you're getting two for the price of one, and the safer bet was to play the under because Tampa Bay is every bit as capable of winning a low-scoring one-goal game. So the safer play was to play the under, and that was against a team that could frustrate them. Montreal's kind of, I've made the analogy with you before, they're a poor man's Islanders in that they suffocate you but not as good as the Islanders do. But it, the big deal is if Montreal gets the lead, that's when they're really dangerous. Tampa Bay, you watch that game, even after Montreal scored, which was kind of a mistake by Sergachev, Tampa never panicked, never did anything. But you, the fundamentals, Adam, they get it deep and they work you deep in the zone. And it's such a simplistic thing. But Montreal came out of the zone against Vegas. It was a walk in the park. They'd get it to a forward on the half wall coming out and a chip and chase and a guy would get the puck and go with speed. And honestly, if you're watching this and go, why isn't Vegas adjusting this? A, if you dump it in, it's not necessarily going to produce a goal, but the goals were coming off face-offs and their best chances off cycles, but they refused to do it and let Montreal come back at him with speed. The one thing you do when you dump it deep, maybe you're not necessarily scoring in rapid fashion, but you're denying Montreal to come out of their own zone cleanly. And that's what Vegas kept letting them do. Tampa Bay gets the puck deep, doesn't necessarily lead to a goal, but you're never in danger of Montreal coming back with odd man numbers, and that's how they score. And Tampa Bay is not going to make the same mistakes Vegas did. And, oh, by the way, they got way better personnel. Yeah, I mean, as I'm watching that game last night, you know, one of the things that we talked about a lot, and I'm sure you discussed it a lot on Vegas Hockey Hotline, is – Montreal was the better team in the first period in almost every one of those games of that Vegas series. And I thought last night, Montreal skated well in the first period. I thought there was great pace, great physicality the first 20 minutes in that game. But that was maybe as good as Montreal could play. They were down one nothing and looked like they didn't even really belong in that game for the most part. So maybe you get that big first period push from Montreal in game two, much like we saw you know, throughout that Vegas series. But I don't know if Tampa Bay gets phased by that. I just, maybe Montreal first period in game two, if you want to take something with a plus price, something like that. But I just, man, Tampa Bay, they, they're just the best team in hockey. I think there's really no other way 
to say it. No, and, and the one thing is, and I could look like a complete idiot when it's all said and done, because a visiting team's goal is to get a split in the first two. If Mon- and Montreal got thumped in game one against Vegas, one game two changed the whole dynamic of the series. That's the model. You got You want to get a split. If Montreal were somehow able to eke out a win in game two, okay, you got a series. I still think Tampa Bay is comfortably the winner. But if Tampa wins both these games, I just I can't envision them not getting a split in Montreal and this ends in five. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I could be dead wrong because there's no great reason to panic if you're Montreal. I mean, okay, you lost game one get a split in game two, and then all of a sudden, things can change. I don't know. My eyes tell me nothing's changing here. Yeah, I don't think anything changes here either. I think it's just a matter of how many games it takes Tampa Bay to do it. And and quite frankly, they can probably pick however many games they want it to take them. I mean, if they want to win it at home, they can do that in game five. If they want to just go ahead and take it in four, they could probably do that too. And by the way, buddy, the one other thing, when you watch these games, I mean, I've talked about these guys, you know, I, I admire and respect them. Don't miss, you don't have to like it, but who cares? At the end of the day, if they're hoisting the silver shiny thing, they got what they wanted. But this goes all the way back for me. After they got swept by Columbus being a frustrated Sabres fan, where this all started, they got, they had a historic season. They swept, uh, got swept by Columbus. They came out the next year and the Sabres had all these high hopes and they did a series over in Sweden, right? They had Dahlin going back there, and Hedman got his day in the sun in Sweden. And this two-game set over in Sweden, Tampa Bay knocked Dahlin out. He had a concussion. They came back. Their season got destroyed by Tampa over there. They also hit the Saboka guy. Kucherov hit him with a cheap shot, knee injury. I don't think he's ever played again. Tampa Bay is mean. They're nasty. They're dirty. and you watched it last night. Gallagher's trying to start crap. What do they do? Slam him face first into the ice. This guy's a bloody mess. Tam- Tampa Bay with the lead. They're not backing off. They're hitting guys, kneeing guys in the head after a hit along the board. Tampa Bay just keeps coming at you. They are a physical team. And that's the other thing. Montreal has not had to deal with it. The Toronto thing was all skate. The Winnipeg series was a joke. And Vegas never threw any checks in the entire series. All of a sudden, Montreal comes in here. They're getting beat to a pulp. That's the other thing. I mean, even if Montreal were to win a game here, by the time you – if it was a deep series, Montreal had, like, I don't know how many guys that have left. Yeah, that's an excellent point, too. And something that you probably don't really think about with Tampa Bay unless you're actually, you know, watching their games, paying close attention to how they play because – I mean, they put up numbers. You know, obviously, we all know that they're a very good defensive team. And, and Andre Vasilevsky is one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. You, you just think about this team as being dominant because they're so skilled or because they're so fast. They're also dominant because, as you said, they beat the hell out of you. And they don't care. They don't care if they go shorthanded. They're perfectly content in that situation. They don't care if they have any kind of reputation. And, you know, they just... They do everything. I don't know if there's a single weakness on this Tampa Bay team, and that's probably why we're going to see this thing end in four uh, or in five. And by the way, the Lightning will be the preseason favorites for the Stanley Cup next year as well. I would envision you get a really good effort from Montreal here in game two. 
and again, I'll go right back to the same premise in the Islanders series. If you're looking for a way to bet this, to me, it's Tampa on the puck line, or you could play under five. So if Montreal shows up and, and they give a big effort and they're in this, price has to come up big. They've got to make adjustments, do a better job coming out of their own end. But the one thing they can't adjust is they're horrible on faceoffs. Just horrible. I mean, Vegas scored the majority of goals they scored in the series were right off faceoffs. And Tampa Bay got two last night right off faceoffs. So you can make all the personnel adjustments and all the things you want to do, but if you can't win a faceoff and you spend the whole game chasing the little round black thing and you're constantly starting with it as Tampa Bay is, that makes it an even bigger hill for Montreal to climb. All right, let's transition over to the golf side of things here and talk about something that should be a lot more competitive up at the Detroit Golf Club. And this is called the Rocket Mortgage Classic. I kind of have a problem with something being called a classic when it's only the third installment of it, but it is just the third year for this tournament here. Used to be the Quicken Loans National. Now it's the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And Brian, this is a birdie fest. I mean, 25 under and 23 under the two winning scores that we've seen here. It's the flattest course on the PGA Tour schedule. The rough is not particularly penal. There's one hole that has water. It's a very Great Lakes-oriented course, as a couple of guys who have played a lot of them throughout our lifetimes here. You know, there's just not a whole lot to really worry about with this course. So guys can attack flags. Guys can go ahead and rip it off the tee and not really worry about where it lands necessarily. So someone's going to go real low for this tournament. And as I said, only the third time that we've seen it. Some of these guys have not played here yet. Some guys have played one year and not the other. Last year, it was the fourth tournament coming off of the shutdown. So some of the guys that were playing in it were shaking off some rust. Nate Lashley won the first one. Bryson DeChambeau won the second one. DeChambeau is your 7-1 to favorite here this week, Brian. What do you do with a tournament like this where someone's going to post a score of 20-something under and wind up winning at that number? I go long shot hunting because if it basically is a putting tournament, it brings so many other guys into the field where, you know, the Shambo could tower over the field and he's whatever consistently 10 feet from the hole. But if he's not making the putts, but other guys are pouring putts in, it just, it brings so many other guys into the equation. I mean, I'm swinging at it. A couple of guys, I think this is the kind of event, a guy like Shez Reeve strikes me as a guy that could get the flat stick going and get really hot. Chris Kirk at 90 to one is a guy is, is one of these guys that wakes up every now and again and goes really low. I I, th- I think you just look for guys that can get hot and I think you swing at it with some long shots. And then again, as is the custom each week is maybe come back on Friday night with a name guy who's four or five off the pace. But I just think, I think reading about it and you mentioned it to a degree, the it's the flattest course on the entire PGA tour. Uh, it's tree line. There's just not, there's nothing there. There's not a problem. You know, it's like, and these guys are also good. They're distance control. That's why these guys are on the PGA tour. It's like, well, who can hit it eight feet instead of 12 feet, but their distance control is all so good that they're always on the right level. And it's the guy that's going to have the flat stick work and the best in a tournament like this. That's what happened when you get it in these tournaments, the winning scores 20 under par. Yeah, maybe there's a named guy or two there, but there's probably going to be somebody in excess of 101 that's going to be in there on Sunday too. 
Yeah, so as I mentioned, Bryson, the 7-1 to favorite. Captain America, Patrick Reed, is 14-1. to I know some people kind of like him this week, and it would certainly be fitting Independence Day weekend for Patrick Reed to win this thing. Hideki Matsuyama, 16-1. to You worry about the putting here in a birdie tournament. Webb Simpson, also 16-1. to You don't worry so much about the putter with him. Zalatoris at 20, Neiman 22. One of the guys that I like here, and he is a short price, and I agree with you. I think there are some, some big prices you kind of go after. Jason Kokrak is 27 to one this week. And Jason Kokrak is a guy that is, I think he's second in strokes gained putting this season. So if this is a birdie fest, then you certainly want guys that really roll the rock very, very well. Kokrak is a guy that does that, did have a win earlier this year. He's been playing very well, as we know. But Kokrak, a guy that putts it very well, so I like him. Cameron Tringale is an interesting one to me at 41 to one over at FanDuel where he's a guy that plays well on approach and also putts it well. 25th in strokes gained putting, 44th in strokes gained approach. He's not good off the tee, but this isn't really a course where that bothers you so much. So you're looking for iron players and you're looking for putters. So those are the two guys I like at short prices, Coke Rack and Tringale, but you know, Sepp Straka has two top 15 finishes here mm-hmm. in his two starts. Uh, Bryce Garnett is 120 to one. He's 10th in strokes gained putting. I think he won the Puerto Rico Open or one of the other alternate events a few years ago. But those are some of the guys that you could take a look at. Some of the long shots that don't do a whole lot of things well, but can putt pretty well. You know, if they're bad off the tee, if there's a course with a distance bias that they have no chance at, that's one thing. This is not that course. So I think that's a really interesting one. And lastly, I'll throw this one at you. And we kind of talked about this with regards to Garrick Higo and you know the tournament that he won a few weeks ago. He was playing very well on the European tour. Mito Pereira, or maybe it's Mito Pereira, at 80 to 1, he's won back-to-back Corn Ferry Tour events. So I don't know if he can do it here in a PGA Tour layout with all the great players, but at 80 to one, I've noticed that his price has kind of gone down a little bit this week. And, you know, I, there was one other guy I wanted to mention that Sebastian Munoz at a hundred to one is another guy that's capable of going real low. And then he just shoots himself in the foot. But if the course is not that difficult, maybe he takes himself away from the snowman that takes him out of a tournament. I think that maybe is the thing here with guys like this. When you say there's water on one hole, some of these guys that are capable of doing really good things, but in a stroke play event, they've always got the one hole that takes them out of it. If the course isn't that penal, a bogey maybe is not the end of the world here if you go out and birdie two of the next three. And I'm glad you mentioned Higo because that was the other guy I was going to say, hey, by the way, he's got two European tour events. He's only played four PGA tour events, and one of them was a win. So Higo at 50 to ones. And, and you know, know that he's basically – one of these guys that's playing these courses for the first time making the loop now around the PGA tour, but he looks really good. So um, Higo and Munoz would be a couple guys at a nice price. I'd add. Well, of course, another angle to look at here for this tournament this weekend is, you know, it's one of the final chances to qualify for the open championship. You know, that's two weeks away here. I think next week is the John Deere classic in, uh, in Illinois. So you've got this one and next week and that's it. Those are your only chances to get into the open championship. So I know some people have kind of tipped somebody like Brendan Todd at 60 to one, who not a big hitter, but a pretty accurate hitter, a good approach player, decent putter. I know some people have talked about him a little bit this week as a guy that 
you know, effectively needs a win or at least an extremely high finish to get himself into the open championship coming up here in a couple of weeks time at Royal St. George's. So that's also another angle you can take a look at here for this week is looking at guys that don't have their ticket punched overseas yet, but you know, maybe looking to do that here for this weekend. I'll put you on the spot again real quickly here, Brian. Have you taken a look at the Irish Open yet? Where Rory McIlroy, the plus 450 favorite? I have not taken the deep dive, and I can we'll do what we did last week. I just took a flyer with the two Americans. Who last won last week? week? I don't even know. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I flipped enough. it on a couple of times. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Victor Hovland. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm, oh, my God. Short-term memory. No, Hovland was real good. I did. Hovland did win uh, and closed it out. I did. I saw the end of the tournament. I even forgot. You hit par 5, 18th. He had a three-shot lead. Come, or you need to hit three putts to win it on the uh, last hole. Looked really good. I mean, maybe they're saying the kind of thing that gets him going maybe for the uh, the British Open. You know, out of nowhere last night, I was thinking about this while I'm, I finally found it, the Irish Open. I don't know why this popped in my head, but I'm wondering about Jordan Spieth in the British Open. You know, he kind of, I got to do a little more deep dive, obviously, on the course. But Lynx Golf, if that ball is rolling long, but if the fairways are wide and he's got a semblance of something off the tee, you know, when you in British Opens, you got to keep the ball on the ground and have the short game. I mean, if he's in form. I mean, you can understand why Spieth won a British Open. I wonder if Spieth's not a guy to really take a peek at in the British Open. Yeah, Jordan Spieth seeing 18 to 1 out there at FanDuel, but obviously, you know, shop around for the best prices, see what you can find out there. Uh, you know, we've got what is it? I think it's this, is it this weekend? Next, so like early 15, next week, the, yeah. the match with DeShambo and Aaron Rodgers against Mickelson and Tom Brady. That'll Please. be, you know, something people will be talking about. That's actually going to be kind of fun to watch. I don't really care to bet on it necessarily but it's in big sky country and it's like 8,000 feet in elevation. And there's like a 400 and something yard par five or par four that they think DeShambo might actually be able to drive because of the elevation and the extra distance. So at least that'll be kind of something fun to keep an eye on. But you, know, you think about the European tour and you've got, you don't have a ton of big name players for the open over there. Rory's there, Shane Lowry, Tommy Fleetwood, Martin Keimer, uh, you know, Andy Sullivan, some of the other guys that are in this field. But next week, the Scottish Open, probably going to get some players that go from the oh, yeah. over to the Scottish Open well, just Mickelson to get themselves and, ready. Mickelson and Fowler always used to go and play in that. Mickelson ended up, uh, Fowler won it the one year. Mickelson was uh, right there and ended up winning the British Open. So, no, yeah, take note of the guys that go over there to get a little, get their feet wet with the Lynx style of golf. All right, this week, I, I would take. Clearly, you look at, you know, McElroy and Lowry, the Irish guys and the fan support, but there's pressure. Um, I would say I would take a swing at a guy like Eddie Pepperell at 66 to 1. Big fan of his. Uh, you think he could go in there, maybe upset the apple cart a little bit. Pepperell would be, he'd be my price play. I'd take a peek with him. All right. Sounds good to me. And like I said, you know, I think this is something that we'll most definitely want to pay attention to next week. You know, going up against the John Deere Classic, I don't know how many guys will actually go and play that at TPC Deer Run, but we should see a lot of guys go over to the Scottish Open to where they can get accustomed to the time change and, and all of that. And especially, too, I mean, 
you know, in this, uh, I guess COVID's still, you know, kind of more of a thing worldwide than it is here in the U.S., but, you know, travel's different. I, I don't know what sorts of quarantine requirements these guys are going to be under or anything like that for the Open Championships. So probably going to see an extremely weak field next week at the John Deere, where maybe the Scottish Open going to be, you know, the signature event and the one that we want to pay attention to. That's a good point because usually the John Deere, they they play that tournament and there's like a charter waiting to take them all right right from Wisconsin to the British Open. But with the quarantining thing, and remember they just had a European tour event that they moved back a day and shortened to 54 holes because the majority of the golfers, I think it was, I think it was Germany, I think, uh, or was it Portugal? It was uh, Germany, anyway. Germany. It, well, they shorted it to 54 holes because the majority of the golfers were in England the week prior to, and they wouldn't have matched the COVID protocols. So I think you bring up a good point that the John Deere field probably really suffers mightily because guys will want to get over there and get situated and you know make sure they're, they got their housing and the whole nine yards and whatever protocols they got to go through. That's a good point for the John Deere. Last thing I mentioned here on the golf side, actually reading a quote from Seamus Power, who says that the rough is nasty at Detroit Golf Club this weekend. So, I don't know, maybe that does kind of change the handicap a little bit. I don't know if he's just kind of saying that, but I know that Detroit had a ton of water fall up there this past weekend and, and a couple of days before that. So, maybe they just kind of let the rough, the rough run a little bit with some extra rain, some probably unexpected rain here. Uh, in the summer months to where maybe the rough is a little bit thicker. So maybe you do kind of want to look uh, at guys that are going to put it in the fairway. So interesting quote, just one player, but I think that's something you can do too, because, you know, again, this is only the third time that we've had the rocket mortgage classic. You you've got a lot of data points on a lot of the other courses that are out there. But like I said, I mean, 25 under and 23 under, you know, the winning margin was six shots for Lashley and three shots for DeChambeau they probably want to t- tighten this thing up a little bit. So I love it. And then, honestly, I will, I, you know, I've been out here 16 years. I've been saying this from the day I got here. You know, I'm sure it doesn't make a lot of people happy, but you know, the, the, the tournament here in Vegas is a joke. You know, the, the winning scores, you know, it's always 25, 26 under par. They can, they can make deep. The problem is with the heat and the, you know, and keeping the course in shape, but there's defense mechanisms for the course. Grow the rough a couple of inches. Put the pins in tougher spots. There's nothing exciting about a birdie in the Vegas tournament. I mean, I hate tournaments like that when the winning score is 24 under par. You know, it's a putting tournament. It's not, hey, hey that's a birdie. That was great. No, the birdie's expected. And honestly, when you want the quality of the field to improve, now it has because there's FedEx Cup points for the following year. So that's helped. But the best players are like, I'm not going there. It's a putting tournament. It brings, you know, does it, you, you want the tournament, have a little bite to it, make these guys work. I, you know, so maybe the Rocket Mortgage, it's, it's young in their history. They go, we don't want to be one of these tournaments that's 24 under par. Grow the rough. What's, what's wrong with the winning score being 12, 13? And, but, but there's some trouble out there for these guys. No, that's an excellent point. Definitely something to consider here for this week's tournament. Again, I think it is important to kind of read what the players say about these courses as they're going through their practice rounds and all of that. And, I'm sure the NASCAR drivers will have a lot to say about Road America here up in Wisconsin. That's this weekend's Jockey Made in America 250 on the four-and-a-half-mile road course, or 4.048 miles, something like that, whatever it is up there in Wisconsin. But 
this is a road course race that's really interesting. We won't dive too deep into this one because I know Brian hasn't really had a chance to look at it, and I just kind of looked at it here this morning. But this is the first Cup Series race, or at least the top NASCAR-level race, since 1956 at Road America, only the second one all time. But what's interesting about this weekend is that the Xfinity Series has been going there every year since 2010. So some of the younger drivers, like a Christopher Bell at 40 to 1, Austin Sindrick at 40 to 1, who won last year at Road America, Tyler Reddick has a couple top fives here. He's 66 to 1. Maybe this week you find some price plays out there in the Cup Series. Yeah, now, is the Xfinity running here? Yes. I would say I don't I do not see the numbers up yet for it unless you've got something. But in the Xfinity race, keep an eye on the Ty Gibbs kid because he's figuring this out and he's already run, won a road course event this year. So in the Xfinity, I'd be taking a peek at Ty Gibbs. You know, Cindric always takes all the money. As for the Cup Series, clearly you, you look at Elliott. Larson's on a Tootsie Roll. The one guy who's very good and maybe motivated after the scary accident on the in the rain on the road courses. Uh, don't sleep on Truex on road courses. So he looks like he's, what, plus 450? Yeah, I'd probably lean Truex's way, but Elliott's a monster on road courses. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, I'm going to take some shots here and play a Christopher Bell at 40-1. to 1. Kurt Busch at 40-1. to 1. He ran well at Sonoma in the most recent road course race. I'll take a piece of Cindric at 40-1, to 1, something small on Reddick probably, and that'll be it. And Chase Elliott probably wins at plus 250, or maybe Kyle Larson wins at plus 350. So it may all be for naught, but, you know, I'm going to take some long shots here of the Xfinity Series guys that have run here are at least somewhat experienced with the course. I mean, look, it's over four miles long. There are 14 turns on this thing. Yeah, it's a car race at its core, and all of these guys are world-class drivers, and even the guys who haven't run here will figure it out. But still, I'll I'll take some shots at the guys that at least know their way around the course a little bit. Yeah, you know, the road course events, they're okay. I think you, you matchups, group matchups, other ways to play it because – um, get, get me to Talladega and some super speedways where some real prices are in play. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, talked about a lot of good stuff here on today's show, and you talk about a lot of good stuff on your two shows all the time. Vegas Sportsbook Radio, Sirius 204, Sports Grid Radio Network, KSHP 1400 in Las Vegas, and that is 2 to 4 Eastern time on Sirius 204, Sports Grid Radio Network, and then Vegas Hockey Hotline, is at 1 o'clock Pacific at KSHP.com. Yesterday, we had Dennis Bernstein on, joining us from Tampa Bay from the fourth period. Today, we got Pat Micheletti. He's a great uh, hockey guest from Minnesota. We're going to have cool guests for you all throughout the course of the week. Big hockey fan. And honestly, Adam, because I think the final is going to be short and sweet, the focus of attention in the NHL, this thing is not going to go away. You got the expansion draft with Seattle on July 21st. A lot of activity around the league based on that. And then the draft right after it. And I think blockbuster trades are going to be fire. And it's going to be hot and heavy here in the next three weeks in the NHL. So if you're a hockey fan, we think you'll like that too. All the shows, all the information is on my Twitter, at Brian Blessing. Yeah, make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Brian Blessing. And check out our ATS YouTube page as well, where Brian's got some good uh, NFL division preview stuff for us that, of course, has lots of relevance here as we go throughout the summer months. But 
Brian, always a pleasure to chat with you, man. Thank you so much for joining me. And we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds like a plan, bud. Have a good day. There you go. There's Brian Blessing again, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline at Brian Blessing on Twitter. I'll be back on Thursday with a new edition of the Betters Box, our MLB betting podcast. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again on Thursday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.